How's everybody doing? Good? All right. So you guys who are here live, would you greet those who are watching us online? Just give me a shout out here. Good to be with you. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Daryl Holden. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, my privilege to be with you each weekend. I'm really thankful that we get this opportunity to be together. Uh, we're in our Christmas series, and um, we're talking about re-gifting. So this is, a, this is a great Christmas series. So last week, if you were with us, I introduced you to the origin of the word re-gifting. It comes from the Seinfeld show, and the re-gifting of a label maker. So this week I got an email from one of our teachers and I just had to share it with you. So in the spring, she says, unbeknownst to me, I basically stole a label maker from our school's office. Thought it was up for grabs. I was super excited only to find out that they were looking for the culprit. So I secretly returned it because I was mortified. This fall, some of my colleagues gifted me a brand new label maker of my own best gift ever. I can't imagine why anybody would ever re-gift a label maker. So that's got to be a teacher, right? Yeah. Yay, teachers. We don't understand you sometimes, but yay, teachers. So um, another re-gifting story from our church. This, is, this was touching to me. Several years ago, this person writes, I went through a severe trauma, which led to struggles with alcohol and PTSD diagnosis. It's an extremely dark period in my life and I almost lost my life to it. What I never could have imagined at that time was the result of those circumstances would be receiving the gifts of healing, understanding, fortitude, compassion, faith. It's still so hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that the greatest blessing in my life today came from the hardest period of my life. I have no doubt that God knew I needed to go through that to truly seek him and I truly believe I meant to and I actively make efforts to share those gifts with others who are struggling. What I thought I wouldn't survive, I now would not change for the world because of the gifts that came from it and I give all glory to God. That's always living with hope in coming through in the midst of darkness, finding, experiencing hope. And so that's our theme and I'm really excited to talk with you about this gift of hope that God has given to us. So I wanna start with a definition for you of hope. And, and what I've landed on is this, is this is a statement from the letter to the Hebrews. It's in, kind of towards the back of your Bible if you're not familiar with it. But it talks about hope as an anchor for your soul. And I love that, I love that definition because of the word picture that's connected to it. It's, it's a picture of a boat, of course. Boats have anchors. But it's a picture of a boat that is preparing to and then in the middle of storm and has taken the anchor to shore so that the anchor holds. And in hope, when we use the word sometimes in our culture, when we talk about hope, we talk like we mean it like we wish. You know, so like there's football games all day and maybe you hope your team wins, like you wish that happens or you hope, you know, so, so there's that kind of hope, but that's not really, that's not hope. What hope is, is hope is an anchor for the soul. Hope is, hope is something that, that keeps me when everything else is askew in my life. Hope is, is the anchor for your soul. Hope is about it's about this moment and enduring 
this moment, but it's also about future. It's, it's what gives you and me confidence to be able to stand, to, to be rooted, to hold fast, to be anchored in this moment and knowing that as this day goes on, as these circumstances advance, that, that my soul is anchored because if, if, it, if, hope, if it doesn't hold, like if it doesn't hold in a storm, that's, that's not hope. And so this gift of hope that God gives to us, it is, it is, a, it is an anchor for your soul. This, this holds. A lady named Jacqueline Hyder, she, she wrote this. She said, hope is defined as a strong expectation, a strong desire for something to happen, a feeling of trust. Hope's a powerful word. With hope comes encouragement and the desire to persevere. The ability to wait expectantly infuses a person with life and energy and often the want to when growing weary. When, when you and I have hope, we can, we can endure. And again, God has given us a gift of hope. And to explore that as part of our Christmas series, what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna look at the first little bit of Matthew's gospel. So Matthew, this Gospel of Matthew, was first written to people who were familiar with the ancient Jewish scriptures. We would know them as the Old Testament. It was written for people who were familiar with the Old Testament. And so one of the features of Matthew's Gospel, if you read through it, it talks about, okay, he tells a little bit about what happens, and then it says, and this happens so that what the prophets, to like to fulfill what the prophet says. And depending on how you count it, and you know, people who count these kinds of things argue over it, but there's, there's 18 to 20 times where something happened connected to Jesus' life, and Matthew writes out, this happened to fulfill what the prophet said about this coming one. And so what I wanna do with this today is I wanna spend a little bit of time in the first little bit of Matthew's gospel, and I wanna look at the first four of those fulfillment statements. And we're gonna look at Matthew's explanation of what happened and then how he points us to the prophet. And we'll actually look back at what the prophets wrote too from those ancient scriptures and, and talk a little bit about what this means about God and about his faithfulness, about the promises that he makes to us, about like the life that you and I have today and what that means for us going forward. And, and then I also wanna make sure we talk for a few minutes about how you re-gift hope. Because these gifts that God gives to us, they're for us, for sure, they're for us, but they're not just for us, they're to be shared with the people who are around us. So I wanna talk with you at the end of our time together about what, what re-gifting hope might look like for us as we, as we head out of here into our week. So last week we talked about the gift of grace and we started in Matthew chapter one in this explanation of how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about and the angel appearing to Mary who was a virgin and telling her that she's going to have a child and she's trying to figure all that out and then Joseph gets the story and hears that Mary's pregnant and he knows he's not the father and her story is about her purity and about how she has walked with integrity before the Lord and the angel appeared to her and the Holy Spirit tells him the story and, and he's still processing that whole deal. And so the angel of the Lord actually appears to Joseph 
and says to him, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And last week we talked about this gift of grace, how God has given to people like you and me. He's given us a savior and Jesus is our savior. So I wanna read one verse farther down. So he will save his people from their sins Matthew chapter one, verse 22, all this took place, this is the first fulfillment statement, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So that prophet that Matthew's pointing back to is a guy named Isaiah and he spoke for God 740 to about 680 years before Jesus came on the scene. So we're talking centuries here. The prophet Isaiah, so if we could just roughly say about 700 years before Jesus was born, has prophesied that a virgin will be with child and give birth to him. It's in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Isaiah is speaking to an ancient king about the Lord's protection and the Lord's provision. And says to this king, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So 700 years before Joseph, Mary, the angel, the Holy Spirit, for 700 years the people of God have been waiting for this one who is to come, Emmanuel. God come to be with us. For 700 years, they've been waiting for this. And, and when Mary becomes pregnant, the miraculous work of God the Holy Spirit, Jesus is born, he is Emmanuel who is God with us. And I was thinking about that, prep for our time together, about a promise that gets made 700 years before the promise is kept. I mean, could, can you think about that for just a minute? The Bible describes the ancient nation of Israel. They're the people of God, but because of their insistence on walking their own way, they also are people who are walking in darkness. And, and they aren't fully aware of why they're walking in darkness, but they are very aware that they're walking in darkness and they are waiting for light. For 700 years, they're waiting for light. And if, if you're one of those people who are waiting and you wait your entire life, and your parents waited their entire life, and your grandparents, like, at some point, you've gotta be scratching your head and saying, this God who makes these promises, does he ever come through on this? 700 years later, the promise is kept. And I think that's, that to me is an amazing thing about God, that he, he is a promise maker and he is a promise keeper, but he does all this in his own time. He's, he's, got his own, he's got his own time frame. And we say this in Christian circles. I mean, we acknowledge this. It's kind of, a, it's one of our Christian cliches that God is, 
you know, never late, but he's seldom early. We've heard that. And it's, it's totally true. But when you're, when you're in one of those moments where you're banking on God showing up, Emmanuel, God with us, you're banking on God stepping in and it doesn't seem like he's anywhere to be found. That, that cliche is not a lot of fun. Well, God's never late. He's seldom early, must not be time yet. Okay, so if I'm just going through a little bit of something, that's awesome, but if I'm like in it. But the truth is God has his own time frame. He does, he has his, his own time frame and he has made promises to his people and he keeps those promises, but he keeps them in his own time frame. And this, this birth of Jesus being the fulfillment of a 700 year old prophecy hopefully stirs hope in those of us who are waiting. You know, when you're wondering if, when, when is God gonna step in, when is he gonna show up? Well, he always keeps his promises. He, it took him 700 years, but with God, that's, that's not a lot of time. He exists outside of our boundaries of time and he lives in eternity, and so for, for you and for me, we may look at that and just scratch our heads and go, that, that's so long it almost doesn't feel like it happened, but God exists outside of our boundaries, and so he, his answer is yes, and it will happen in his time frame. And the birth of Jesus demonstrates that to you and to me, that, that you may be waiting right now, and you may wait for a while, and you may grow impatient, but this God who makes his promises always delivers on his promises to his people. This 700 years later, this virgin gives birth to a son and he is Emmanuel, he's God with us. All right, so that's the first one. The second fulfillment. So this is kind of a famous story. It's the, um, it's the wise men from the east see this star and they connect this star to the birth of a king in the east, they're from the east to the west of them, they connect us to this birth of this king in Judea somewhere, and so they come from afar, and <clears throat> they are looking for this king who is to be born, and the Bible scholars of that day, when they ask the question, they show up in Jerusalem, which is the capital city, and they, they ask the question, hey, where is this one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. And the answer that came next was the Bible scholars of the day said, well, there's one who's coming and when he comes, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So in Matthew chapter two, verses three through six, King Herod hears all this, he's disturbed all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so, so these Bible scholars are pointing back to Micah, who is a prophet who spoke and wrote for God. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. 
So a little more than 700 years before Jesus shows up on the scene in what Micah actually wrote, his exact words, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That last little line there kind of gives me goosebumps. I'd love to hear um, like maybe Morgan Freeman or James Earl Jones read that you from of old, from ancient times. But what's, what's crazy about this prophecy, rulers don't come from little out-of-the-way places. Bethlehem, little out-of-the-way, backwater, tiny little town. Rulers are born in capital cities, and they're born to ruling parents. Not the kind of people who live in or visit places like Bethlehem. And there's this ancient prophecy that the one who is coming will be born in this little backwater place called Bethlehem. And what we gather from this is what you and I see and what you and I expect is often very different from what, what is actually happening and what God has going on. Because in, in this day, the powerful people, the wise men are coming from the east and they have approached Herod who lives in Jerusalem and who is king and the Bible scholars all the people that know, like that's, that's where you would expect, like that, that's where you would say, this is where the rulers are, and this is where the rulers will be. And from God's perspective, while those people play a role, they're not the rulers of his people. There's another one who's coming who will be the ruler over the nation of Israel, and this one who's coming is not just another one in the line of these kings or religious leaders. He is, he is from of old. He is from ancient times. He is, he is an eternal one. And, and what you and I see and experience and what you and I expect, because our expectations are generally based on our experience, on what we can see, we don't see what's really going on. There's this entire spiritual world that God is, that is, this stuff is happening that you and I can't see it, we don't know, and God is at work in it. And what happens in that spiritual world has a, it has a direct impact on the world that you and I live in, but often we don't see it and we don't make those connections. And so, so in this birth of a coming Messiah, Jesus, in this little out of the way place, this ruler, what, what you and I can grab in all this is what we see and what we expect based on what we've seen and what we've experienced is that isn't all that's happening. That isn't all that's happening. So if you're, if you're sitting here this weekend and what you have going on in your life, you, you feel like there's, there's no hope, like, there's no, like there couldn't be a next, or based on your experience and based on the way things like this normally go, like there's, there's nothing but a wish. The truth of the matter is there is a God who is at work 
not behind the scenes so much as over the scene and through ways and methods that you can't see. And so, so we see here, we read here is that this God 700 years before Jesus comes onto the scene declares where this ruler is going to be born and it is not what you would see, not what you'd expect, not what you would, what you would experience. So that's, that's the second fulfillment passage and God has stuff going on that you and I don't know about. The third one here. So Herod hears that this king of the Jews is gonna be born in Bethlehem and we read there in verse three, when he heard it, he was disturbed and so what he did was he put a plan in place to take care of this king who would be a threat to his power, a threat to his position. So down in verse 13, so the, the wise men have come to Jesus and they have presented their gifts and they've worshiped him. And then when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is gonna search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child, his mother, during the night and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So these are words from the prophet Hosea. And Hosea wrote he was kind of a contemporary of Isaiah, but he's a little bit before, 785 years to about 725 years before Jesus. And when Herod wrote, or excuse me, when Hosea wrote this, he just said, words of God, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So this prophecy is interesting, because if you just read it, like if you're just reading through the prophet Hosea and you read those words, it sounds like he's looking back on that story from the book of the Bible called Exodus, where you know Joseph and then the nation of Israel and finally we get all the way forward to Moses there in slavery to the nation of Egypt and the 10 plagues and, and then God calls his people out of slavery to Egypt. It sounds, when he says, out of Egypt I've called my son, it sounds like he's looking back on that experience, but he's not just looking back on that experience. What he's doing is he's looking forward to, to Jesus and to this flight of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus into Egypt. And, and there's this uniting of Jesus with the nation of Israel, more than representative, kind of a uniting them and what's gonna play out in Jesus's life. If you read through the ancient scriptures, the history of the nation of Israel, every place they failed, Everywhere they failed to be people of faith, every place they failed to be obedient, every way that they failed to live up to their relationship with God, Jesus succeeded. And so there's this thing that goes on as you read through the stories of Jesus's life about the nation of Israel failed, but Jesus as united with them and their representative and ultimately the representative of mankind, he, he, he fulfills and lives up to what you and I should be living out in our relationship with God. And so, so there's that piece going on out of Egypt, I've called my son. There's another thing that's happening here. So the Messiah has been born and 
He's son of God, God the son, the prophesied one. Like he's the one that we've all been looking towards and not everybody's recognized who he is yet, but God knows, right? God knows who he is. He's been born and now he's in danger. So what do you expect God to do? Right, just like, let's just, if we hadn't read this, if we didn't know, what do you expect God to do? So I played this game with myself. What do I expect God to do? I expect God to to put a wall of fire around Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus. Just to, to light the thing up so that everybody knows that, that this little family and particularly this baby, they belong to me and I've got them and I'm protecting them and no, no harm, no evil, nothing's coming close to them. I, I kind of expect something like that. I maybe expect just kind of a, a random as, as Herod's soldiers get closer and closer to Jesus, maybe angelic beings that they can't see, just get them, you know, kind of a, like just, just take them out and it's, and it's over. Or as they're camp, you just think about some of the stories that happened in the Old Testament. Maybe they're, they're on their way and they're camping and this, they all mysteriously die. Something like that could happen. Or that there's another army that somehow invades and just nobody really understands why or knows why this particular other army came down that day. But that army gets used by God to protect this little family. Expect something like that. Something cool, something awesome, something powerful, something. But you know what, what God does in that? He says, okay, Joseph, I want you to take Mary and the baby and I want you to run. They run. You guys got to run. Danger's coming and you've got to run. And not only is it time for you to run, you got to run to Egypt. So we don't make the immediate connection, but for Joseph and Mary, for people who lived where they lived, for Jewish people in that day and time, Egypt's not where they wanted to go. In, in their history, Egypt was the place of slavery. In their spiritual history, Egypt was the place that, it was, it was the place of idolatry, it was, it was the place of disobedience. It was, it was a place of spiritual danger. And, and it, was not where, it was not where the people of God voluntarily went. And, and the angel of the Lord shows up to Mary and Joseph. They're in danger. And he says to him, hey, you're in danger. You got to go. You got to go to this place that represent, that is spiritual darkness for you. And you and I know, because we got to read it, you and I know that there was a calling out of Egypt for Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, but they weren't told any of that. All the angels said was, hey, you're in danger. Herod's trying to get you, trying to get your baby. You gotta go to Egypt. He didn't say you're gonna be there for six weeks, six months, six years. He didn't say, he just said, you gotta go to Egypt and be there. And, and I think what they had to be experiencing in that, I mean, just to move to a place, just the three of them, and to move to a place that they don't have any connection, they don't have any family, they don't have any, just the emotional, the relational difficulty of that whole deal. They were foreigners there. They were outsiders, they were outcasts. They're the margins. To move from a place where you're one of us and everybody else is part of them to, to go there and be one of them now. And, 
and how that, what that experience must have been like for, for Mary and for Joseph particularly, and then and Jesus would have grown up into that a little bit. And I'm reading that and that, like that fulfillment, what God had going on there was out of Egypt I've called my son. His son has to, go, his son has to be in Egypt for a while so that I can call him out. And, and I don't know if you've experienced, you've, you felt like you've, you've been sent or had no other choice. Maybe you know it was the Lord sending you because an angel didn't show up or didn't jump off the pages of your Bible or you didn't have that you know, deep in my heart. I just know this is from God. You just kind of circumstances pushed you into what feels like a dark corner. You don't, you don't know what's happening. Like You don't know the full scope of what's going on here. There's an out of Egypt I have called my son. That's what God does for his people. Is, is the, there is a calling out coming for you. you you're, not in a, you're not in a dark corner over there all by yourself, forgotten, unknown. Well, it may feel like that, left yourself. There's a... There's gonna be a calling out of that for you because this is what God does for his people. He calls his people out away from darkness into light. And so he has that ahead for you. And, and you may not have expected this season in Egypt. But don't let, don't let the experience you're having, it was unexpected and probably not something you want. Don't let this, don't let this be something you say, hey, God's forgotten me, he's lost me, I've, I'm off his radar, he's not real. What? Don't, don't let this season, you just gotta know, out of Egypt, out of Egypt, God calls his son. 700 and something years after the prophet pointed at it. And then, this fourth one, this one's, this one's tragic. So what Herod had done was he told those wise men, you guys go find, go find this baby and when you find him, this king of the Jews, when you find him, come back to me and tell me where he is so that I can go and worship him too. And we know he didn't have worship on his mind and the wise men didn't go back to Herod. They went a different way. So Matthew chapter two, verse 16, when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, the wise men, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he'd learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I mean, you, you hear what Herod did, and what strikes me, the prophet that Matthew is quoting is the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote 620 to 580 years before Jesus. So, you know, 600 years before Jesus comes on the scene, Jeremiah foretells this 
slaughter of these baby boys in this one little part of this, this small town. And Herod's soldiers come through and white, devastation of all of that. Jeremiah's words, this is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So this is kind of a weird place to start wrapping up a message about hope, for starters. Um, God knows the future. This is, this is God's foreknowledge. This is the other things that God, orchest God orchestrated those things and, and called them into being. This one is God being very aware of what is going to happen. And you're in my future. God knows. He knows the future. And it happens over and over again in the scriptures, but in this little part of the Christmas story, it, God demonstrates that, that he, that he knows he knows what's coming. And there's some uncomfortable in this that he knows and he could have stepped in. He could have stopped it and he did not stop it. And there's several explanations for pain, suffering in our world and our lives. This one really feels like we sin. When we sin, the world broke and it just continues to spiral down and they're just, bad things happen and horrible things happen. And I'm not saying that like to dismiss it, I'm just saying that we live in, we live in the downstream of Adam and Eve's, ultimately our own sin. And so, so you get this, this tragedy and criminal act that, that happens and God saw it coming, said it's gonna happen 600 years before it did. And I think where this, this kind of thing can stir a little hope for us is one of the things that God says about himself is he says, I declare and know the end from the beginning. So he tells his people I know what's happening. And, you know, I'm reading this description here of what happened in these days, and, you know, if we just kind of enter into it just a little bit. Weeping, refusing to be comforted. Yeah. And, and in that, what you and I get to see and read is that, that God is waiting for you in your future, if I could say it that way. You and I are walking towards our future, right? We're living towards our future. We have no idea what the future holds. It's every, like every new moment is a surprise to us in, in some way. God is never surprised. He's never caught off guard. He's He's never watching tragedy that is happening in your life, in my life, and saying, oh, I didn't see that coming. Or, or wringing his hands and wondering what in the world he's gonna do now. Now, 
why he doesn't stop some of these things, why he allows some of these things to happen, why he lets the world play out the way it's playing out, he gets to answer that. Like he's, he's the sovereign, he's God, that's his call. It's not your call, it's not my call. We can be frustrated sometimes, we can have questions sometimes, but at the end of all that, what you should know is, is as your life unfolds and, and hard things, tragic things, criminal things, as, as those things unfold, God, he's, he's waiting there for you in those moments, really to be found by you. If you're, if you're willing to find him, if you're looking for him, if you'll say yes to what he has for you in the midst of all that, he is, he is not, he's not, watching your life unfold with you, saying, huh, I wonder what's gonna happen next. He, he knows what's going on in the lives of his people, and he proves that here in the Christmas story by 600 years before it ever happened. He said, hey, this, is, this, this atrocity is gonna happen at this time. And so I think you and I have to know as people, like we've gotta know as people that, we can live with hope because, because this God who watches over us, cares for us, you're, you're never lost. Like off his radar, out from, out from his vision, you, you, can't, you can't wander far enough away that he can't see you anymore and somebody else can't cover you up thick enough that he can't see through that. Like you're, he, he sees you, he hears you, he knows you, he is very aware, and even in the tragedy because of this broken world that we live in as it spins, he's there with you in all that. And he, he's done that in the past, and he continues to do that for his people, and he will do that for us moving forward. So I wanna, I wanna take us back to Micah. We talked about him a little bit ago. Let me just kind of give you this, this is a little more hope. Here. Remember this part. Micah chapter five, verses four through five. This is after Micah has said, you know, Bethlehem is where this ruler is gonna come from. He's talking about this ruler who will shepherd my people, God's people, and here's, here's this shepherd. He will stand. He'll stand and he'll shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they, his people, you and I, will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. He'll be our peace. This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus, the, the shepherd who stands. He's not a lazy shepherd who's laying down somewhere and the flock wanders off. Like he, he stands and he shepherds the flock, not in, not in like human strength, but in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. This is how he takes care of his people. And there's, there is some now and not yet to this. There is, there is now, even though you may not feel like this is happening, you may wonder if you can, you're really having this experience, if this is really how Jesus watches and takes care of his people. Well, this God who six, 700 years before the birth of Jesus called the shots and all the people that scratched their head in that period of time, like this God is faithful. This God does what he says he's gonna do and he has given us this shepherd who will stand and shepherd us 
in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And because of that, you and I get to live securely. You may feel like the wheels are coming off. You may, you may feel like it is unraveling, but that is not the reality. If you are a believer in, a follower of Jesus, you live securely. You get to live securely because you have a shepherd who stands and shepherds in the strength of the Lord and in the name, the majesty of the glory of God. You, you get to live securely, and then this future, this security, it, it grows, and this security that we are saying yes to by faith and living out by faith, one day all of this is not going to be faith and hope, it's going to be sight. And we will live in a time when the greatness of the Lord Jesus reaches to the ends of the earth, and from this day to that one, he's our peace. He's our peace. So you and I have been given hope. Your circumstances may not, like you may not look at your circumstances and say, oh, I have a lot of hope about this. But the truth of the matter is, God has made you incredible promises and he always keeps his promises so you can live securely and you can live with peace. You can live, you can live with hope. If you'll say yes, these promises that he's made to you. So I'm assuming we're yes people, right? We, we are yes people. We are yes to the promises of God. And because we're yes to the promises of God, we have hope. This is a beautiful gift that he gives to us. This is not just for us to enjoy. It's for us to share. So let me just wrap all this up real quick with four different ways that you could re-gift hope this Christmas season. Okay, this first one is an invitation inviting others to participate in things that stir hope in you. So your, your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your classmates, they may not have any hope and they may not participate in anything that stirs hope, but you do. There's stuff that goes on during Christmas season you participate in that stirs hope in you. Cool thing, like church is one of those things. I hope church is one of those things for you. Next weekend, we have baptism. Some of you might need to be baptized. This is a statement of like, I am saying yes to this hope that I have in Jesus, and I'm gonna live that out loud and bring some friends to watch you be baptized. It'd be an amazing thing to invite somebody into to a statement of the hope that you experience and to invite them to participate in something that, that gives you hope. A prayer, a prayer. To say to, to say to a friend, to say to a coworker, to say to a neighbor, to say to somebody who is in a difficult circumstance, especially, hey, I'll be praying for you. Those are powerful words, even if they roll their eyes. Those are powerful words because, because all of us know somewhere deep in us, there is a God. And if, if you could somehow help connect me to him, I'd be for that. Right? If, if, there's, if there's the possibility of help, I might have some hope. And if you're really gutsy, hey, could I pray for you right now? And to offer to voice a prayer for someone that you know that is in what feels like to them a hopeless situation. So an invitation, a prayer, the third one's a gift. 
God, God takes care of us. He watches over us, he sees us, he provides for us, and one of the main ways he does that is through his people. And so if, you, if you're around somebody who has some sort of need, and whether it's need to be listened to, it's need to be seen, it's need to be affirmed, it's need to have some food, whatever need you're with, so if you would offer that to somebody in Jesus' name, that, that gift would maybe stir some hope in them. And then this last one is just your story. If you're a person of hope, if you have hope because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done for you, to be able to share that story of hope, your story of hope with, with a person who is looking for some, that's a, that's a powerful thing, that you would share your experience with this Jesus who, who gives you hope, who gives you an anchor for your soul. You have the opportunity to be a conduit of hope to the people who are around you. So I wanna pray that for you. Would you guys please bow your head and close your eyes with me? So Father, we want to be people of hope. Would you stir hope within us? I pray for my friends who are, who walked into this place or turned this message on online and, um, they're looking for some light in their darkness. I pray that, pray that you would minister your hope to them. Pray that you'd put them in touch with people who are of, people of hope. Thank you that you haven't left us to ourselves. Thank you that you don't make promises and then walk away from them. Thank you that you are promise-making, promise-keeping God. You see us, you hear us, you know us, and you have really good things for us as we walk with you. So we wanna experience that ourselves. We wanna minister that to the people who are around us. We wanna do that, Jesus, in your name. So we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So would you guys stand with me? Let me read this benediction over you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you guys, Minister Hope, this week. I love you. I'll see you next weekend.